Well, this is part two of our membership series, and last week we looked at the doctrine of the church, and we looked at what the church was, and that's really what we asked is, what is the church? And we said, amongst other things, that the church is the assembly of believers. Now, historically speaking, the, the church, the local church, the, the, the church, um, theologians through history have kind of said there's three marks of a true church. Three marks of a true church. True church. It's a place where, or a, a people where, the gospel is preached, first of all. It's a place where baptism and the Lord's Supper are administered, the ordinances that the Lord has given to the church. And then thirdly, it's a place where believers are kept accountable to live lives fitting with the gospel and with those ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So a place where the gospel is preached, the ordinances are administered, and believers are kept accountable to live Christian lives. And if one of those three marks is missing, it's not a true church. And so again, last week we looked at the doctrine of the church, and it was the assembly of believers. It was this group of people that Christ is building himself. It's also the bride of Christ. And so it's the the church is his bride. It's a people who've been called out of darkness and made alive with Jesus Christ. In other words, it's a people who are saved and transformed by God's grace. The church is a body of Christ, and and he is the head, the leader of this body, and each person is an individual member of the body. The church is also the vehicle through which God is going to glorify himself in this age. And the church then is a a universal body. It, It consists of people in heaven and on earth. It's all believers in the entire world and those who are already in heaven. Those people are the church. Everyone who's been saved from Pentecost until the rapture belongs to the church. And and as these people are saved, they are added to the church and they become part of the church. But the church isn't only a universal body. It's also a local reality. And so most often in scripture, when the word church is used, when that word that I taught you last week, ecclesia, when that word is used in scripture, most often it's a reference to a particular local church. And so, for example, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, we have the church in Jerusalem. We have the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria in Acts 9.31. In Acts 11.26, or 11.26, Paul, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church that they planted. And the beginning of almost every letter in the New Testament is written, it says something like, to the church of such and such a place. And these local churches were led by elders, and they had deacons who served in various ways and, and, and operated in, in various ministries. They were made up of believers who belonged to those assemblies. There was believers that belonged and were part of that church. And so the church recognized these people as belonging to their number, and the people recognized the church and its leadership as the place where they belonged. The Ephesian believers belonged to the Ephesian church. The Thessalonian believers belonged to the church in Thessalonica, and and kind of so on and so forth. And so far as we know, there was no such thing as a believer who did not belong to a particular local church. You won't, you won't be able to find that in the New Testament. There was no believer that we know of that didn't belong to a particular local church. And so when somebody got saved, they were added to the church in the area where they were saved. And in those days, there weren't multiple churches in, in, in which one could belong. There was really one church in each city and each church submitted to the apostles teaching, right? So each church submitted to the apostles teaching. The apostles were kind of over it in those early days. And as the church submitted to the apostles teaching, there was really just one church in every city. Now today, there's a little bit of a difference for us because we have multiple churches, at least in the West here, we have multiple churches in any given city that that one could belong to. 
And, and without going into too much detail about that, the reason for that is because to one degree or another, churches have veered from the teachings of the Lord and of the apostles, and yet they retain the name church, and so there's, there's multiple churches in different areas. Typically then for us as believers today, we have to decide which church to join if we join any church at all. Now, sometimes when we even kind of talk about this, people balk at the idea of membership. Uh, even last week, even even this past week, I was talking to a pastor, um, actually at Grace Life Church, and um, and he was asked by someone in his church if if he could show him a verse that a, a Christian should be or that a Christian must be a member of a local church. So so kind of give me a verse, prove to me that a Christian should be a member of a local church. Now there is no verse that proves such, by the way, there's, there's not a proof text that I can give you that says, if you are a Christian, you must belong to a particular local church. But that being said, it, it doesn't mean that membership is not a biblical idea. Okay, so there's no verse that I can take you to that, that, that proves this and once and for all settles this. But that doesn't mean that membership is not a biblical idea. And often in, in a lot of areas, we have to kind of look at the scripture and, and see what it says about something, even though it doesn't directly address that. And of course, like we do that with the Trinity, for example, there's not a verse that I can say here, this proves the Trinity. I got to really take all of scripture together and show you that God is one God who exists eternally in three persons. I like the way the, the Westminster divines put it like this. Quote, this is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. End quote. And so what we're dealing with here today is something that's not expressly laid down in Scripture, but we're, we're dealing with something that by good and necessary consequence can be deduced, drawn out of the Scripture. Again, there's no verse that I can say that, that, that says you must enter into a formal membership agreement with the local church. What I hope to do in this message is convince you that the idea can be drawn from Scripture as a good and necessary consequence. And so what I want to do today is I want to ask two questions, and that's the outline for this morning, is really these two questions. First of all, what is church membership? And then secondly, why should you... Why should you be a member of a local church? So what is church membership and why should you be a member of a local church? And we're going to spend most of our time on the second question. But before we can kind of answer why you should be a member of a local church, we just need to think about what is church membership? What is church membership? And this idea of membership kind of, I think in our culture, comes with some baggage. You know, at least... You know, I guess when I think of membership, I probably think first of all of church membership, but I think our culture, when they think about membership, like what do you think about when you think of membership? You know, I think of Costco, I think of uh, AMA, um, I think of like golf club membership where you kind of get like this exclusive privileges of this membership. Why, you know, why do people join Costco? Why? You know, think of, you probably have a Costco card. Why did you, why did you join Costco? Well, probably because you want to, sh- you want to be able to shop there and you want to get the deals and you want to get the cheap gasoline and you want to, some people in Edmonton told me it's worth getting a membership just so you can go and eat the snacks on Saturday because they have those samples, right? And so you, you become a member, you know, and when you do that, who are you thinking about? You're, you're really thinking about what's in it for you, right? You're, nobody goes and joins Costco and says, I'd love to give, t- uh, you know, 55 bucks a year to Costco because that, they're just so great over there. I hope, you know, I hope you don't, right? You know, I, those guys, that's such a great organization. I would just love to give them a hundred bucks a month. No, you, you think it's going to be worth it for you because you're going to get something out of it. And so they join, they become members for themselves, for their family. Certainly not because they want to bless Costco. And I think very few people 
join something in membership. There's, there's very few institutions that one would join to be a blessing to that institution. There, there might be a few, but I, I really couldn't think of any good examples of that. So in our culture, when we think about membership, we typically think about what's in it for me, and it's, it's really about ourselves. What's in it for me if I become a member? And, and there is something to that even when it comes to the church. But, but when it comes to the church, we need to think differently about membership. See, I, you know, last week we talked about what is the church. And I really hope that that was helpful for you. I, I hope that if there's like one or two things that I really influence you in, it's, it's, um, that you would come and know the gospel from being part of our church. And then secondly, that you would value the local church as a, as the vehicle through which God is glorified. And so I hope that you kind of become passionate about the church because God is passionate about his church. We should treasure the church. And, and so hopefully last week you've kind of come away and you're going, yeah, we should treasure the church. I want to serve the church. This is where God is working in this age, and I want to be a part of that. And, and that should really motivate us. You see, if Jesus bought the church with his own blood, then that means that there's a high value on the church. If the church is his body and his bride, then she is important to him. And if she's important to him, then she should be important to us as well. And that means that we should be willing as Christians to sacrifice for the church, which is the body of Christ and which is, which is really where we should serve and use our gifts. And so if we know that God is going to be glorified through his church and he's planned to glorify himself through the church, then we should seek to glorify God by serving the church according to our gifts. And so membership in the church then is not all about ourselves. It's not really about what's in it for me. It's something that I want to join to contribute to it. And so we should want to serve and contribute to the church. And and when I say church in that way, I, I want you to think about it in kind of two ways. You know, the church consists of the people that belong here. So when, when you think about the church, I want you to think about the people, but but also there's this formal institution that's that's called the church the local church it's it's um there's there's leadership and there's a statement of faith and there's bylaws and there's a, a way that we function and and really a local church needs both and and when when you think about the church and serving the church i want you to think about both sides we need both structures and people we need organizational structures and we need on the other hand we need their spiritual life you don't want to be all structure and no life, but you don't want to be all life with no structure. Uh, one, one set of authors compared it to, um, compared the church to a trellis and a vine. You kind of know what a trellis is. It's, it's something that a vine grows up along. If you don't have a trellis, the vine can't grow and, and get high because it just kind of goes on the ground then. But if you don't have the life of the vine, the trellis is useless. It's just kind of a piece of, of, fancy wood sitting there. So the, the church is a trellis and a vine. There's structures and leadership, but there's also needs to be spiritual life. There's, there's structures and programs and leadership and, and the, the vine needs to grow on that, on those structures. But there's also, there must be a vine to grow. There must be spiritual life. And so when I say that, that we want to serve and contribute to the church, I mean that we want to use our gifts and our abilities for the benefit of the people, which in some cases means that we also serve in formal ways to help the structures, because the structures are there to help the people. So I, I really hope I'm making this clear for you as, as you kind of think about this, that, you know, we're here today, hopefully, to be edified by God's word and built up and grow in the faith. The purpose of the church is to help people become and grow to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But when, and, and part of the way that that's happening in, in this moment is through the preaching of God's word. But we can't just have 
the preaching of God's word unless we have some formal structures and there's a building that we do that in and there's a person who is freed up to preach and there's somebody comes and sets up the chairs and we, and there's certain people that are organized to lead the music and there's people working the electronic equipment at the back and all of those things are, are structures and, and ways that we serve. But the purpose of all of that is so that we would grow to be like Christ and learn from the Word of God. And so we really need, when we think about the local church, you need both the trellis and the vine. You need the structures, the leadership, and you need the the spiritual life and growth to be happening. And so again, when I say that we want to serve and contribute to the church, I, I mean we want to use our abilities and our gifts for the benefit of the people, which again sometimes means that we serve in formal ways in the, in serving the structures, in, in setting up chairs or leading in music or whatever, all of the things that come together so that we can do what we're called to do as a local church. So I hope that's helpful for you as you kind of think about that. And again, we should desire as Christians to serve the church. And I'm going to speak more about that in another session about our responsibility to do that. But let's come back. And think about membership here. Let's come back to membership. Membership is a formal agreement that the incoming member makes with the church in which the member and the church agree to serve the Lord together. And so the member, the incoming member is saying, this is my church. These are my people. That is my pastor. Those are my elders. And I'm going to work together with these people to serve the Lord here in this place together with them. And so the, the member is agreeing that we're going to do these things, that this is my church, these are my people, I'm going to serve the Lord here with these people. Now last week I gave you this definition of membership, I want to give it to you again. It's, quote, church membership is belonging to an identifiable local body of believers in which the member and the church mutually agree to serve one another as they serve Christ. Now I'm going to modify that just slightly, and I want to add the word commitment to that, because I think that's an important idea. Church membership is a commitment to an identifiable local body of believers in which the member and the church agree to serve one another as they serve Christ. Or to give you a, another definition, this is from a book uh, called Church Membership, it's, and, and it says this, church membership is, quote, a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. And so when we're talking about becoming a member, you're making a commitment and the church is saying, yes, this person, as far as I can tell, this person's a believer and they're a disciple of Jesus Christ and they're going to come under our leadership and, and we're, and they're going to live out their discipleship in the midst, in, in our care. And so the Christian is coming under that care and the church is saying, yes, this person is coming under my care. And so that's what church membership, again, a commitment to an identifiable local body of believers in which the church and the member agree to serve one another as they serve Christ. And so we have a a local church, which is this body of believers, and we've come together. This is what the church is. We've come together to fulfill these divinely ordained purposes. And I, I gave you these last week. I want to give them to you again. Some of the things that we're called to do as a church is receive instruction from God's word. And so 1 Timothy 4.13 and 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Paul told Timothy what he was to do in the church, and one of the things was to, to preach the word of God. And so we as a church are called to make sure that teaching and preaching happens in this place. And I'm so glad that, just as an aside, I'm so glad you ladies are going to study First Timothy this year in women's ministry, because that book tells us exactly what's supposed to happen in a local church. And so I think it's kind of a timely book for you to study. So one of the things were to receive instruction from God's word. Another thing is we're to be equipped 
and doing the work of the ministry according to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. We're to be equipped for the work of the ministry, and then we're to do that work. Another thing the church is called to do is serve one another with our spiritual gifts, and we'll look at that even later today. Participating in the Lord's Supper and baptism, we're going to see that in Acts a little bit later, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 42, really even to 47. Um, proclaiming the gospel, the great commission, that's our, that's our job, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and spiritual accountability and discipline, and that's in Matthew 18, 15 to 17. We're going to look at that as well, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 25. And so these are things that we are called to do as a local church. And membership is a commitment to join these people and serve the Lord together and do those things that we're called to do. But still, someone might say, why should I join a particular local church? Why, why, should, why not just be a part of the body of Christ and think of myself as belonging to all the churches? And so that's what we want to kind of look at next is this idea of why you should be a member of a local church. And so this is number two in our outline, why should you be a member of a local church? Now, as I kind of begin into this section, I, I just want to, um, I don't know, make a confession or, or what we're going to call this here, but I, I, I received this material from Grace Community Church about six or seven years ago, and I've kind of edited it over time and made it my own. Um, and when I was talking to this pastor from Grace Life this last week, he says, oh, all of that is in the MacArthur and Mayhew book called Biblical Doctrine. So if you go to the book Biblical Doctrine and you open it up to the section on the church, you're going to find a lot of this same material there. And so I didn't even know it was published there, but there there it is. It's Even this outline that I'm going to go through now is actually just right in MacArthur and Mayhew's Biblical Doctrine, uh, a great book that I would recommend. And so why should you be a member of a local church, I want to give you four reasons or four lines of evidence that show why every believer should join a local church. And the first one, the first reason is from the example of the early church. The example of the early church requires formal membership. Now, last week when we looked at our text and we looked at the scriptures, I kind of walked you through at a certain point, I walked you through all the the book of Acts, and we saw how believers were added to the church. Those people were saved, and they were added to the church kind of throughout the whole book. And I want to go back and look at that just a little bit more today. So go to Acts chapter 2. And again, we're, we're looking at the example of the early church, which, which I think requires a, a form of formal membership. And so Acts 2 and verse 41, it says, And so those who received his word, and that's the word of Peter there preaching, those who received Peter's word were baptized, and they were added that day, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Then if you skip down to verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the Lord is adding to his church, adding to their number. And so we might ask, well, whose number again? And it's the 3,000 who had received the word that day, added to the 120 disciples of the Lord who were praying when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And notice that they received the word and they were baptized. And then notice in verse 42 what these newly saved people did. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so these people, they devoted themselves. That's a form of commitment there. That word devoted is really a, a great word. It means to busy oneself, to be busily engaged in something or devoted to something. And so these believers, these those who had received the word, devoted themselves to the word and to each other, and to fulfilling those things that the church had was called to do. And so it, it also has this idea of persevering in something, continuing in something. And so they devoted themselves, and they continued in the teaching of the disciples, and the fellowship, 
and the Lord's Supper and baptism and all that they were called to do. The new believers were devoted to their leaders in the apostles and to one another in fellowship, and they participated in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now look at uh, chapter 4 and verse 4. I'm not, I'm not going to go through all of them again, but chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. And so for Luke to kind of go back and do research and and know that there was about 5,000 people who were added to the church, it seems that somebody must have been keeping account of who was added to the church. And most likely what was happening is that as people were baptized, they were added in some kind of official roster so that the church knew who was being added and who belonged to the church. And so the apostles and the elders, they knew who belonged to the church, and the believers as well knew that that these people are being added to the church, and that was happening as they were being baptized, and so it would be this official public proclamation that they were disciples of Christ, and now they're baptized and added to the church. Everyone who believed and was baptized was added to the church, and they devoted themselves, again, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. And so that's kind of the first little evidence from the, the example of the early church. They, there's somebody keeping track of numbers and they're being added to the church. Now I want you to turn to Acts chapter 18. And there's another aspect here to consider. Acts 18, not only were people added to the church and committed to the church, but also they began to write letters of recommendation for one another when they traveled to different local churches. And so in Acts 18.24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of, of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ." And so Apollos, he wants to go to Achaia, and and he's got the support of the brothers from the Ephesian church. And and the Ephesian church, they recognized Apollos as a gifted teacher, or as at least an evangelist. And they recognized him then as a disciple in good standing, but the church in Achaia doesn't know Apollos yet. Now, kind of just geographically speaking here, I'm not sure how your geography is in the ancient Near East. Ephesus is in Asia Minor. And cities like Athens and Corinth are in Achaia. We, we might kind of say Greece. And so Apollos either has to kind of go up around through Thessalonica or um, and Macedonia, or he has to sail across the Aegean Sea to get to Achaia, which is really probably the city of Corinth. Um, but there's some other cities in there. And so the brothers, the church in Ephesus, they write this letter to the churches of Achaia, and they say, welcome Apollos. And they did just that. The, the church received that letter and they, when Apollos arrived, verse 27, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And it seems that these kind of letters of commendation were fairly common in the early church. And, and to see another one, I want you to go to Act, or Romans, go to Romans 16. <clears throat> Romans 16, uh, verse 1, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kenchere, and that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. And so Paul here commends Phoebe from from Kenchere, which is... This, it's actually a port city just south of Corinth. And he says, he says, welcome her in a way that's worthy of the saints. And so the saints in Rome are then going to receive her and help her knowing 
that she was part of, or in, in other words, she was a member of the church in Centuria. And so that Paul says, welcome her. And of course, you would think that the Romans did just that. And let's go to one more here. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4. We see another one of these. Colossians 4 and verse 10. Paul says there, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And so Paul says, welcome Mark if he comes. And we see a similar thing in, in 3 John, um, 3 John, where John tells Gaius to support the brothers, and, and these brothers are some kind of traveling missionaries, and if they're workers for the truth, then they're worthy of support. And so um, John tells Gaius that you're, you're doing a good thing for these brothers and that you support them. And so it seems like letters like this, letters of recommendation, are, are kind of going back and forth as people are traveling between cities so that people can know that this person is a member in good standing at our church and you should welcome him in your local church because he's coming to that area. And so these letters of recommendation fit with this idea of formal membership. The churches, this is the important part here, the churches knew who belonged to them and they knew who didn't belong. And so the example of the early church demands formal membership. And now secondly, the existence of church government requires formal membership. The existence of church government requires formal membership. The churches in the New Testament, at least the, the fully established ones, have they all have a plurality of elders, or in the case of like 1 Timothy and Ephesus, Timothy is there to establish elders and appoint elders in the churches. But for the most part, the New Testament church has a plurality of elders. And these men, and, and it is restricted to men, these men are called to shepherd the church and lead the church and manage the church and care for the church. And even Paul uses the word rule the church. And, and they're to do that in the, the local church to which they belong. And we're going to talk about elders and their roles at, at another time in this series. But for now, what I, I want you to see is just that these, what these men are called to do. They're called to shepherd the flock, 1 Peter 5.2. They're called to care for the church of God, Acts 20.28. 20, They're to labor diligently among them, among the people, in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. And in the same text, they are, it says that those leaders are over and they admonish the church. And in Hebrews 13, 17, they keep watch over the souls of the people and they're going to give an account for their shepherding care of those people who are, who are under their charge. And so that's what the elders are called to do. Now, I want you to think about this. How can these elders do all of that and give an account to God for it if they don't know which sheep belong to their flock. You see, in order for the elders to do their job or fulfill their ministry, they must know which people are under their charge. And it works the other way as well. You can kind of flip this around the other way. Every believer in the New Testament is commanded to submit to their elders. And just to kind of show you this, let's go to Hebrews uh, chapter 13. That's kind of the easiest place maybe to show this. <clears throat> Every believer is commanded to submit, submit to their elders. And in Hebrews 13, the, the, the author of Hebrews calls them leaders. In Hebrews 13, 7, he says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so the, the Hebrews are to remember these leaders. And it seems like this idea of remembering them is, is that you're imitating their faith, but you know, as you imitate them, consider, consider their conduct, consider their way of life. Are they, are they truly following Christ? And then in verse 17 of the same chapter, Hebrews 13, 17, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. 
And so the question that each believer needs to answer, and this is a question I really want you to think about today, is who are your leaders? Who are your leaders? Or or who is keeping watch over your soul? Whose faith are you imitating? Who are you remembering and who are you submitting to? Who are you submitting to? And the next question, and this is important, I think, especially maybe here, but really in all places, are they biblically qualified and gifted and called to serve in that capacity? And I know I'm talking about myself as I say that, but you need to, you need to answer that question for yourself. Who am I following? Who am I submitting to? And, and are they, you know, consider the outcome of their way of life, consider their faith. Is it something worth imitating? Are they qualified to do that? Are they gifted to do that? Are they called to do that? And is this the kind of a leader that I can come under their leadership? You see, we need to choose our leaders well. This is, this is really, really important. When, when we become a member of a church, we're coming under the leadership of those people and we need to choose our leaders well. Because what could be more important than the person or the people that, that whose faith you're following? But having chosen to come under a group of shepherds whose ministry it is to care for, shepherd, and lead the church, we as believers are called to let them do that with joy. And so we could ask, well, how do we do that? How do we let them do their ministry with joy? And again, the answer is by obeying, submitting, and following their lead. Now, here's the follow-up question that, that kind of brings this right around then. So you've chosen um, pastor, elder, overseers, and you're going to come under their leadership, and, that, and that's good. And, and let me say this, too, that if you, if you don't do this, you are disobeying the Scriptures, right? Because the Scriptures call you to submit to your leaders, but if you don't have any leaders then you're in disobedience to the scriptures at that point. But but here's this follow-up question. Do those shepherds know that you are coming under their leadership? So you've got some shepherds, that's good, but do they know that, that you see them as their pastor, their shepherd? Do they know? And then the next question is, well, how do they know? How, how, how do they know that? Like you, you maybe think that, but how do they know that? And you see from that question, you can see that the existence of church government requires then a formal membership so that the shepherds know who their sheep are and the people know who their shepherds are. You see, somehow as shepherds, we have to know who belongs and, and, and who our shepherds are, who we are to shepherd. We, they, this kind of works both ways. I don't know if I said that right, but it really works both ways. Now, as we kind of come to this and talk about this, I'm just going to speak openly and, and personally, which I hopefully always kind of do, but this might be a little bit even more. See, as your pastor, if I am your pastor, and it's okay if, if I'm not, but as, as your pastor, if I am, it helps me tremendously if you join our church as a member, because it tells me that I am your pastor and that you want me to shepherd your soul and to give an account for it. It tells me that you want to serve the Lord together with me and with us as this local church. You see, it not only tells me, but it even tells all of us that we are committed to this thing and we're going to work together. But as your pastor, it helps me to shepherd you and it helps me to know that you want me involved in your life. And the process that that I've come up with of this whole process of membership, of you hearing these messages and filling out an application and reading our statement of faith and reading our bylaws and and meeting together for a membership interview, that's really one of the best ways that I know that I can begin to serve as your shepherd because this process helps me to kind of get to know you and where you are in relation to our church and what we teach and all of our our doctrine and, and all of who we are as a church. And submitting to the process, for me, makes it a joy for me and not a groaning, not to, you know, hopefully, Lord willing, no matter what happens, I'm not going to be groaning, but um, it, it makes it a joy. It helps me tremendously. And not to be too harsh here, and I'm a little nervous about this part of the sermon here, but not to be too harsh, I'm just going to turn it around the other way. 
You see, if you don't join our church as a member, it, it tells me, and maybe you don't even know, maybe this moment you didn't even know that I thought about it this way, but it, it tells me that you're not committed to our church, and maybe I'm not your pastor, or at least not yet and not fully. And that, now I recognize that there's a... um a process through which you have to go through to decide if this is the church that you want to join. And so yeah, I realize it's going to take some time until you're like, yes, I'm on board. I can commit to these people. I can serve together with them. I see who they are and where they're going. And, and I, I've, I agree with their statement of faith, or at least I mostly do. And I, I like the shepherding here. There, there's a, a time for which that has to take place, but I would just, I would encourage you not to take too long because of what scripture encourages us to do. We are to submit to our leaders. And if you, if you don't go through the membership process, if you don't join our church, it says that, that you don't want to submit to the process and, and that we put in place to shepherd you and help you in your Christian life. Now, maybe you'll hear this. Maybe you hear me kind of sharing my heart here on this and, and you're going to think, wow, I didn't realize that, that Mike would take it so strong. I didn't realize that he would, that he would see it that way that I, that, that he's, you know, that I'm saying to him, you're not going to be my pastor yet. And, and, and so maybe this message is going to change your mind on membership. And when what I would say to you is it's not too late. You can still sign up. Maybe you were here last Sunday. Maybe you're here this Sunday. Go ahead and sign up. And that would be to me, that'd be a joy because it'd be like, Oh, the, this message helped you to kind of decide that this is a place where I can join together with these people. And so it's not too late. You could still join, you know, but for others of you, it might be that, that you've kind of been here a while and you're going, you know, this isn't the place I want to be. This isn't the, the, the leaders that I want. This isn't the kind of church that I want to commit to. And so maybe the encouragement for you is that you need to find another church if you if you can't do it here, maybe you need to find another church where you can submit to the leadership and can join them and can serve the Lord together with them. And so, um, you know, I recognize that there's a timeline that you might be wrestling through these things, and I, I'm gracious towards that timeline, but um, each believer is called to have leaders and and we need to come under their leadership and even if you just come under our leadership for a while you can always go to another church if you decide later that that this isn't the place and so again if you if you kind of hear this and i'd be thrilled if you responded to this message by signing up to commit to this body of believers now i also want to talk to another group of people here in this moment and that's to those of you who listen online, because I, I know there's people that listen online every week and you've never, at least as far as I understand, you've never been to our church. And I, as far as I know, there's still people every week who listen to our church online that live in the area but have never come here. And so you need to answer these questions too. And, and you know, who is your pastor? And I would, I would say to you that it's not me because I've never met you except for like the, that one gentleman that I met uh, at the at the grocery store. Uh, hello again out there, you know. So, but um, you know, you need to think about that. Who's your pastor? It's not me because I, I'm not caring for you. I don't even know you. I met you that one time, and there's others as well. But then you think about it. Who is your pastor? Is it is it you? Are you biblically qualified as your own pastor? You know, Scripture calls us to devote ourselves to the fellowship of the saints and, and you're walking in disobedience if, if you don't join a fellowship of believers and commit yourself to serve them. And so if I would say to you that, that you need to repent and, and we would love to have you come join us in person. And so again, submitting yourself to this process where you formally join our church and commit yourself to serving the Lord together with us, that's the way that you declare that I'm your pastor and, and you're one of those for whom I will give an account. And I take that very, very seriously. And so church government, its existence requires formal membership. That was number two. Now number three, the exercise of church discipline requires formal membership. The exercise of church discipline requires formal membership. Now, church discipline may be a scary thought, and I think for many people it, it is a scary thought. It's something that, 
that they've maybe seen done poorly or, or even not done. And so it's foreign to us. But scripture is very clear that the church is to practice this thing called church discipline. Now, I'm only going to touch on this today, and really, at another point in this series, I'm going to talk more fully about our responsibility in church discipline. But what I want to just kind of do now is, is just say this in introduction, that every sphere of life has some form of discipline, if you think about it, right? Every sphere of life has a form of discipline, and so how much more should the church you know, workplaces have ways, you think about your work, there's, there's ways of dealing with employees who aren't doing their jobs well, and there's usually a process, maybe you have a discussion, maybe there's a warning, maybe then there's a, a formal warning, and then maybe there's even a dismissal if the person doesn't kind of do their job in the way that the company requires. Sports teams have discipline where to keep the athletes in line and to prepare them for victory. And so we shouldn't be too surprised that the Lord would have a method of discipline to keep his church holy and walking in his ways. And he does have a way, and it's very clear in scripture. Now, the first mention of the church, I said this last time, was Matthew 16, where we saw that the, the Lord Jesus was going to build his church. And the very second mention of the, of the church in scripture is in Matthew 18, and we could think of this as the first instruction to the church, and it involves how to handle a sinning member of the church. And I want you to turn then to Matthew chapter 18. So Matthew 18, I, you know, you could call this how to how to deal with a sinning member of the church. And there's that word member there. And I think it's an appropriate word, even though Matthew 18 doesn't use that word. But think about this member of the church. There's a there's an assumption here in church discipline that the, the sinning person belongs to the assembly. And so Jesus says in Matthew 18, he says in verse 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, this is our Lord's instruction, and I, I just, like, just right there, listen, that's the Lord's instruction. He tells us what to do, and so we need to listen to this, and, and, and what to do if one of our brothers sins against us. And the whole context here is dealing with sin and straying brothers, pictured in verse 12 of the same chapter as straying sheep. And if someone sins against us, or if we kind of go to other scriptures, we see that this really applies to anyone who's caught in a sin, anyone who, who sinned against, or, or, or anyone who notices a sin is called to do this, and, and we should go, if we know of a brother in sin, we should go and privately confront that person. And if that person listens and repents, then we forgive them, forgiveness is granted, the person is restored, and everything continues on really wonderfully. We've gained our brother. But if the person is indeed in sin, and when you do this, you you, you don't go in and say that they are in sin, you go in and you kind of ask questions, and you're gracious and gentle, and your goal is to restore the person, but you go and you find out if they're in sin, and if they are in sin indeed, then you call them to repent, and if they if they repent, wonderful. But if they don't repent, if the person is in sin and they don't listen, they won't repent from this private conversation, then we're to go to step two of church discipline, which is in verse 16. So step one is just a conversation. Step two, it says we're to bring one or two more witnesses And they're to come and see if a sin is happening. And if a sin is happening, they're to call that person to repentance. And if the person repents, forgiveness is granted, the person's restored, everything continues on, and there's really no more need to talk about it. But if the person is indeed in sin and they won't repent, we're commanded to go to step three in verse 17. And again, I'm going to cover this in more detail another time. But step three, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, 
tell it to the church. And the church, that is, everyone who, who knows this person or who has opportunity that belongs to the church, the, the whole of us are to go and call this person to repentance. And so everyone together, the whole church, seeks to restore our sinning, straying brother or sister. But again, if he or she refuses to listen even to the church, as Jesus puts it there, then step four of church discipline in the second part of verse 17, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, another way to, to put this would be to regard them as an unbeliever. Regard them as an unbeliever. They're acting like an unbeliever in their sin and we're to regard them as an unbeliever because of their sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we treat them unkindly. We, we treat Gentiles and tax collectors kindly and gently. We, we preach the gospel to them, but we're, we're to regard them as unbelievers. That's the idea of Gentiles and tax collectors. What we're to do, though, is to put them out of the church until they turn from their sin. That's what the scripture is telling us to do. We put them out of the church until they turn from their sin. And we see a situation like this in the book of Corinthians because the Corinthians had a person in their midst who was in a sin. And so I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which is where we see the church actually carrying out the instructions that we see in Matthew 18, but it's a little bit escalated. It's, it's already to kind of step three here, even maybe step four, because the, the sin was so public that everyone already knew about this sin anyways. And so first Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse one, it, Paul says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that not even, that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this thing be removed from among you. And so the Corinthians are, are arrogantly tolerating sin. I, I think the idea here is that they, they thought they were so welcoming and so gracious that they're, they're tolerating this sin in their midst that even the pagans wouldn't tolerate. And Paul says, you are arrogant in this. You should have mourned. And then he says in verse two, let him who has done this be removed from among you. And Paul calls this removing in verse three and four as delivering such a one over to Satan. And so he is, he's out of the church. He's going to be put out of the church and he's delivered over back into Satan's realm. But Paul's hopeful that the man is still going to repent as he's removed from the church. And so he says in verse three, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus, so that when the gathering has come together and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And so the church is called in a gathering of the saints to put this man officially and formally out of the church. And look at how he kind of reemphasizes that starting in verse 11. Paul says, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, purge the evil person from among you. Now, again, we're going to cover this in more detail another time. But for now, I just want you to note that the one who bears the name of brother, the, the person who's calling themselves a Christian, if they are in sin and they will not repent, they should be removed or even stronger, they should be purged from the church. And so they were once regarded as being in, but now they are regarded at, to be regarded as being out. And so you kind of see that they were in, but now they're to be put out because of their sin. And so we're to expect Christians to live godly lives according to the scripture. 
And if they don't or if they won't, we're to put them out of the church. And all of this apply implies that the church knows who belongs as members and as brothers and who is in and, and who is out, right? There's this in and out. And so we, we know that, that there's certain people that belong. There's certain people that are members. And, and you can't really be put out if you were never regarded as in. Now, I can just see me saying this and I can see someone going, oh, that's great then, Mike, because then I won't join because then you can't put me out, right? <laughs> you know, and, and so, um, you know, and, and I would just say, whoa, 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 hold on, brother. If you're a brother, because if you call yourself a Christian, really what you're saying by saying that is you're saying I'm in. You're saying I belong. I, I'm a Christian. I, I, I'm one of you. I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. And, and so I'm in. And so you're saying by saying you're a Christian, you're saying that you're part of the body. And, and you are saying then that you are in. So what is this? You want to be in, but only halfway in. It really doesn't, it doesn't make sense. If you want to be in, if you want to call yourself a Christian and part of the body, then you should call yourself a part of the local body as well. So unless you're prepared to say, I'm not a Christian, then I would say you really need to be part of a local church. And I think that's very strong, but I, I think that's what scripture is saying here. And so we need to be part of a local church. And again, I'm going to say more about membership at another time, but I just want to say this, that it's actually, as scary as it is, it's actually a, a, ma- a major blessing in our lives to know that if I, as a Christian, stray into sin, I'm part of a church of people that are committed to bringing me back and calling me to repentance and calling me to serve the Lord and aren't going to just say, well, whatever, we're all a bunch of sinners and it's okay. You just go off and, 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 you know, maybe your soul's at danger, but, uh, but we, we don't really care because we're not, um, we're not that kind of a Christian. And so I, I think I'm just, I, you know, if I ever go astray into sin, I want you guys to come and chase after me and say, Mike, that is not okay. You're a Christian. You're my pastor. You're called to a higher standard than that. And if you're part of our church, I'm going to come after you in that same way if you stray into sin. And it, it gets uncomfortable at times, but I, like, I come hard because I'm concerned about your soul. And so when you join as a member, you're saying, I want to live a Christian life with these brothers and sisters, and I'm going to serve the Lord together with them, and they're going to come after me, and even to the extent of putting me out and delivering me to Satan, if I will refuse to turn from a sin. Now again, if you say, if you sin, if you're in a sin, and I call you to repentance, aren't you going to just repent? See, it should almost never get to this stage of, of this putting out because as the whole church comes and says, brother, it's not okay to do this, then, then we're going to repent. And so it's very rare that it comes to this place. But again, the exercise of church discipline, what our Lord commands us here, requires and assumes that there's a formal membership that we can recognize who identifies as a brother and who does not. Now, fourthly, and very briefly, hopefully, um, this, the number four, the exhortation to mutual edification requires formal membership. It's really the exhortations to mutual edification require formal membership. And I'm just going to be very brief here again, because we're going to look at this at another time as well. But the scripture commands us as believers to be involved in one another's lives. See, we all have gifts and abilities that are to be used to one another's benefit. We are one body, and each member of the body is necessary for the good of the whole body. We never say, I don't need that part of the body. We need the entire body. You know, you just, you know, think if your, if your arm is injured, nobody says, well, just cut it off. I don't need that part anyways. And it's really the same that the, when my arm is injured, my whole body cares for and takes care of my arm. And in the same way, we're to call to be a body of Christ that cares for one another. And we need one another as we're growing to be like Christ. And to see that, I want you to go first of all to Romans 12. So Romans 12. Romans 12, and we could just start in verse 4. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, 
So we, so verse 4 was just talking about the physical body. We have this one body, many parts of the body, many members of the body. The members don't all have the same function. They don't all do the same thing. They're not all arms. There's different parts. In the same way, verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we belong to one another as members. And then he says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So each part of the body has gifts, and Paul says we're to use them. Now I want you to go to the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4. We are members of the body as Christians, and we're commanded as members to use our gifts for the glory of God. And so 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, he's one of, this is one of the shorter gift sections in Scripture. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, let us use it, or sorry, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of, the, of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so each one, according to Peter, has received a gift, and he divides it into speaking gifts and serving gifts. But each person in the body of Christ has received a gift, and we're to use that gift. We're to serve one another by using our gifts. And, and to do so is to be a steward of God's grace. God has given you gifts, and now you're supposed to steward them. You're supposed to, to manage those gifts that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. And these gifts were given to us in order that we might serve the body of Christ. Now, formal membership is a way that people join the church and are recognized so that they can serve in these various ways. You know, for example, in our church, how could we let somebody teach if they weren't willing to commit to this local body? Committing to the body is kind of what opens the door to serve in the various ways. It says you're part of this body and you're going to, you're going to serve us together with us. And so you're entering in and agreeing to serve the body in this way. And so, you know, I, I would say again to those online or to maybe to people who, who aren't wanting to become members or at least even at this time, um, in a sense, you're saying, I'm, I'm not going to commit and serve and use my gifts in this body. I'm, I'm not going to join together with you to serve in these ways. And so committing in a formal membership is kind of what says, okay, now we know who's a part of this church, and now we can serve together as this group and, and, and use our gifts in one another's lives. And so this formal membership kind of opens the door and prepares the way for us to serve one another and recognize one another as belonging to the church. So formal membership is, again, how you say, this is my place, this is the place, and these are the people amongst whom I'm going to use my gifts. Formal membership locks in the relationship between each individual member of the body and the whole. And by formal membership, we tell one another that we are committing to one another to serve the Lord together according to his word. Now, in this booklet that I, I want you to get at the back on page 21, there's a thing here called the affirmation of commitment. And really what it is, it's, it's just saying, it's just affirming our commitment to do what the Lord commands us to do in his word. And when you join and when you commit to Grace Bible Fellowship, this is what you're saying. And, and really what we want you to be able to answer and, and to prayerfully consider is if you can say, I will, to these questions. Now we recognize that, that nobody's going to do this perfectly. We're all sinners. We all, we all have, um, places to grow in our lives. But, but really what we're saying is I'm going to live as a Christian in the midst of these people. And so we want you to be able to answer, I will. And the question starts like this, with the aid of the Holy Spirit. And so we recognize we need God's help to do this. With the aid of the Holy Spirit, will you be diligent? To exercise self-control so that your lifestyle exhibits both true Christian love and personal holiness. And you should be able to say, I will. 
This is what you're committing to as a member. Will you faithfully assemble with this body of believers, striving to maintain unity and doing all that you can to stimulate love and good deeds in others as you seek to exercise your spiritual gifts and faithful service? I will. Will you consistently contribute as a good steward of God's blessings, your time, talents, and resources in the measure that God prospers you so that our local and worldwide ministry of spreading the gospel may continue? Will you teach biblical truth to your family and acquaintances as God gives you opportunity with a desire to see them come to Jesus Christ and be saved? Will you always be willing to both give and receive admonition and instruction with meekness and in love? And again, you would answer, I will. And will you commit to praying for the ministry here in this church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the elders and deacons, and for the lost who need the Savior? I will. And then the existing members of the congregation, when we do this, are going to if we have existing members of the congregation, are going to kind of reaffirm their responsibility to the new members, and they're going to say this to the, about those people, will you, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, seek to love, encourage, teach, admonish, comfort, and exhort these new members with a genuine desire to see each one grow in the knowledge of Christ and his word? And then the whole church together would say, I will. And so this is an affirmation that of commitment that we're making as members. That's what membership is. And that's why you should become a member of our church, because you need to make a commitment to the body of Christ to serve the Lord together with us so that we can glorify him through the church as scripture calls us to do. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together, looking at your word, kind of deducing things by good and necessary consequence that's maybe a little different than what we're used to here. But Father, we thank you for our time and we thank you for those who have committed or even are considering committing to, to joining this local church. We pray that you'd give us wisdom as we seek to follow you the best that we know how, Father. Uh, we pray that you'd be glorified in this local church. In Jesus' name, amen.